Welcome to Make It Count, Living a Legacy Life, where we invest in what matters, God and people. I'm Sue Donaldson, speaker, author, and creator of WelcomeHeart.com, where you can learn to know and show the heart of God. And that's what counts. Thank you for joining me. Good morning. I'm so excited to introduce to you my friend, Megan Fate Marshman, and she is a wonderful speaker. I've heard that she's Bob Goff's uh, favorite female speaker, so that says a lot, and I know she adores him as well, and I first heard, she's a a mother of two darling boys, and um, I think a wife for what, 10 years? You've been married 10 years? And, but I first heard about her from my high school girls when they went off to Hume Lake camp and they came back and they said, I want to be spirit girl. I thought, does that mean they want to be spiritual? No, they wanted to be like Meg (laughs) fate at the time because she was so much fun and she still is. And she's written a couple of books, but this last one is the one we're going to be talking about today. And so I'm very excited. So first, Megan, would you first tell us a little bit about your family and your ministry? You speak everywhere. It's so wonderful. But and then um, the names of your books, and then we'll get into that and also into legacy. Sure. Oh, hello, everyone listening in. Simply, I'm trying to invest my time in the things I value the most. So I'm trying to make sure that I don't just say that I value Jesus, but that my time is spent with him, not just doing things for him. But with that, it's cool. I get to spend time with him and then share all over. Like you just said, it's pretty surreal to share just what God's done in my own life. But the fun thing is every time I share anywhere on a stage, it usually is shared at my dinner table first with my husband, Randy of 10 years and my five-year-old boy who usually wants us to move on in the conversation because he said the other day that prayer is boring. So we start praying a lot more. And I love this. I'm learning from him all the time. And I was thinking, I have a feeling there's a lot more people out there that think prayer is boring because we pray boring things. And I realized I had been praying boring things with him. So now he and I are praying a little bit more risky prayers, but we're seeing God show up. So that's beautiful with a five-year-old. And I have a two-year-old who's learning how to communicate, uh, but he's, I'm trying to have him learn more how to listen. Turns out that's hard too. So then it makes me think that listening is simply obedience, right? It's not just hearing something, it's obeying. And so that's really what I want to do with my time, Sue, is figure out what God's asking me to do and then have the courage to obey, which I'm realizing left to myself, I usually just self-protect or stay safe. But man, with his spirit leading the way, hopefully that's what made me the spirit girl. But realistically, it just made me, I was a cheerleader for people up at a a Christian camp. But I've written a few books. The first one was in partnership with a woman that moved me from just being passionate about Jesus to being strategic for him with a ministry philosophy. And uh, that was called Seven Family Ministry Essentials. The whole goal would be to partner with families instead of think that the church ministry leaders are the ones that do the prime ministry. The second one was when I started to realize, um, man, turns out life's not about me. And so how do I get to the place of John 3.30 that God becomes greater in my life and I become less? So the book was called Self Less. How do you think more of yourself, but less about yourself at the same time? And Jesus makes that possible. And then lastly, this most recent one is meant for good. And it was sweet because I wrote it before 2020, but then it was released right in the midst of the pandemic. And it was all about the fact that God knows the plans, but what do you do when he's not planning on telling them to you? But I wrote it in a season where I thought I knew all the plans and laughed because the timeless truths were more relevant. It felt and the time at which it was released, which sounds a lot like God's creative planning in the first place. Um, as you, as a fellow writer and speaker, I we know that things have to go through our lives first 
before they really um, translate well, at least in a vulnerable, transparent way, in a real way, authentic, let's put it that way. And so I love it that it starts at the dinner table, minus if the kids are fighting at the dinner table, what do I do with that? But um, so what went through your life to make you want to, you already said how it happened in, it came out in the middle of the pandemic, but you wrote it a while back, because I know it takes a long time for a book to be birthed. So what changed, what view of God did change, let's say, or uh, view of yourself that made you want to write this book? Because it is based on uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 and yeah. the following verses. Yes, here's the fun part. So you and I met through you coming up to speak uh, at, at Hume Lakes. I've worked there for the past 12 years. And the book got its start. The, here's the fun thing about this book in contrast to the other ones. The first couple books I wrote, it was like, here's something I learned and you're welcome. Uh, this <laughs> third book that I wrote was something I didn't fully understand. So the writing posture was me actively learning it. So I was sharing it as I was learning it, but it began on stage at Hume Lake. It was a really good worship set. The speaker just gave this like heartfelt message. All the six, 700 women were on the same page, like worshiping the Lord. And then they sang that one song that's like, all your promises are yes and amen. And everyone's there in that moment. And I got up on stage to close down the chapel. And the statement I said was, oh, gosh, I love that song because his promises are. And everyone's like, yes and amen. We're all on the same page. And then I said, the only thing missing is probably another verse that says, and his promises are you know, and then finish it. Like, like, what are they? A lot of us say, you know, trust in his promises, but I wonder if how many of us know what they are. What are his promises? And then I got to the place of saying, and I didn't intend for it to be a joke, but it became one. I said, we got to hold on to his promises. Like, you know, the one in Jeremiah 29 and the whole audience seemingly shouted, 11, which 11 is a very famous one. It's the one that says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's plans, prosper you not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. And as they said 11, I was saying 13 because the promise is found in 13, not 11. And I felt in that moment, God giving me this gift of saying that that whole plans to prosper, not to harm is not the promise. There's a timeless truth found in that verse. In fact, many, but it's not a promise that his plans are going to be easy. That's not the promise. And I think far too many of us have. And so we questioned God because we thought that Jeremiah 29 11 means that our life's going to be easier or better in our own definition and what I found on the journey. And so again, then I dived into this journey to go, what are God's promises? What was God saying to the people in Jeremiah 29 and 11? What are the timeless truths from that verse and the verse that follows? And what I found in studying that chapter in that book was understanding that God's really just inviting us to trust him, not know the plans. It's, he's inviting us to trust us, trust him when we don't. And then what I aim to do in the book really was give people handles on how in the world can we trust a God who we don't see and trust him with plans that we don't like. That is so great. And, you know, 20, John, Jeremiah 29, 11 is almost as famous as uh, John three sixteen and um, another one I was thinking oh Proverbs 3 5 and 6 you know that's written on everybody's mirror or on their bumper sticker and yet they really we really think that oh this means God's going to give me all good things this is what he's promising me he's promising to fix all my problems and to prosper me and I think that can really break someone's faith because if that's what they think God is going to do and then it doesn't happen in their time frame or in our time frame then they say well then I don't really believe in God have you ever come across people like that Oh man, constantly. 
I love what you even just said, the, the good things that's it, or the, you know, the question that I hear probably one of the most in real vulnerable, when someone's opening their heart, they'll say, how could a good God, and then fill in the blank. And so that even was part of the journey. The book itself got its name because of the word good. And God's definition is different than ours. When I think about a good plan, I think about a comfortable, safe, easy, prosperous. I mean, what other words do you use to describe a good day? A good day is success. Yeah. Yeah. And God defines it differently, especially when you get to Romans 8, 28, another one, which is again, beautiful promise. Um, uh, And we can know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. But the best part of that verse is if you keep reading, you'll figure out God's definition of good, which is not that we are safe or that we are successful. It says this, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, God's definition of good. And so this is what I want to say to anyone listening in. God promises that he'll use all things for good, good being forming us more into the likeness of Jesus, which makes me want to ask all the listeners and imagine if God himself were asking you this, he would give purpose to your pain. And it's this question, how might God be wanting to use the very thing If God's going to use all things, then might as well think about our things. What thing is heaviest on your heart? How might God be wanting to use that very thing to form you more into the likeness of Jesus? And some people, this is an easy thing. Oh, I'm the silver lining gal. And then there's a lot of you that go, how in the world could he use betrayal? But if you stick betrayal in that sentence, how might God be able to use betrayal to form me more into his likeness? Well, Jesus understands betrayal. He's a forgiver. He sacrificed himself for people that would betray him. It's really profound if you take your thing and put it into that sentence, and then you allow yourself to be transformed more into the likeness of Jesus, because that's the good. That is the good, and that's his lifetime goal for us. We have our own lifetime goals. People are always telling, choose big dreams. We know people who do that, and they're great. But uh, I find that my pain draws me closer to Jesus but I don't think I want to go out and say, Lord, give me pain today. No. Uh, But what an opportunity. Say, hey, look at it from the perspective. One thing I really liked, I was reading your book uh, this morning again, looking at our circumstances through God's character. Because Mm. if we put God's character on there first, that he is a good God and he's an almighty God and he's a loving God, we're really putting him on the line when we say, yes, honey, God God loves you even though you were not asked to go to prom this year. You know, because you're trying to, to show who God is to your children. And then they look at you and they go, well, I'm not sure I can pray that way, mom, because my prayers are not being answered. I think it's it's difficult. And I think part of our growing up is saying, I'm going to trust God for who he is, not for how uh, he's answering my prayers at my time. Yeah. yeah wow. when, have you, when have you sensed his silence? And what did you learn from that? Ooh, a lot. Tell me. A lot. I think my expectation of God is that he's going to give me instant gratification and instant gratification doesn't require faith. And so if I'm even thinking, I think it's Luke 18, I think, where Jesus is speaking and he goes, when I come back, will I find faith? It's like the thing he's looking for. And if I got everything I wanted right when I wanted it, there would be no faith required. And if God's goal, like you just said, that's what he's after. He's after us to have faith. He's after for us to be trusting of him. These, these things we don't want, it's different than the legacy we want to leave, you know? Um, but he's like, it's best for you. It's best for you to look more like me because then it's not just best for you. It's best for other people. So silent, man, often I 
oftentimes, and but I've come to realize there's these really theological terms, consolation and desolation. It's these seasons of our life. You may, may have heard the phrase, the dark night of the soul. I always used to think that that phrase meant the hardest season of life. And I've come to realize it doesn't. The people that created it decades ago did not say dark night of the soul is the hardest season of your life. What it is, is the moment in which God removes the experience of God so that we can understand him apart from the experience, so that we can know him. The dark night of the soul is that moment where you feel like he's slowly stepped away. It feels that way. And God's going, because I want you to know me outside of an experience. I want you to know me for me and not know me for the experience you want from me. He uses all things. He even uses silence to go, oh, are you only interested in me having answers? Or are you interested in me? Are you interested in what I can give you or are you interested in me? So silence is often, but now I've come to realize that he's not just being silent, he's listening. And that's why it's so foreign. So I thought it was always silence. And now he's redefining silence for me and going, oh no, I'm just really a good listener. <laughs> he's the best listener. He gets right. And, and we're not good at listening because we're not good at being silent. And so I, I, even a friend of mine, <clears throat> I was telling her a story about a recent, I could just tell you you friend of mine, I was telling a story recently about a time in college where I wanted to practice being a better listener. So I would wait five seconds after someone spoke before I spoke again. And I very rarely spoke. And a lot of people thought something was wrong because someone would say something and then I'd wait because I wanted to hear for experience. I wanted to hear, I wanted to step into their scenario. I want to see how I could be a good friend. I wanted to pray for them in that moment. How would God use my mouth to respond? And I would get silent, but everyone filled the silence. No one knew what to do. It was so foreign. So I don't think God's just being silent. I think he's being silent on purpose. He's intentionally not speaking. So maybe we can go to the true source to find him where he is. And that's the good news is, although he may feel like he's silent, we're sta- we still have his word right in front of us where he's never silent. And so if what we need is a word from him, we can go to his word. If we need, um, what do we need? And what I'm realizing is I think we need a good listener who cares for us and moves us slowly into what's best for us. Yeah, that whole thing about God is never in a hurry because he already knows what's going to happen. So yeah. we we're quiet enough before him we can listen to the next step instead of rushing to the next step because I'm a rusher mm. um what is our part in following God's plans mm. as that verse talks about plans and we want to be part of you know a lot of people listening today they are God's people and they want to be used by God but if they're stuck and not knowing what is the next step what what advice or wisdom could you give them oh good I'll just read 2912 where God gives precisely the answer to that very question so let me give the context of 2911 he says I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you not to harm you plans to give you hope in a future then he continues on to describe what to do next he says then you will call upon me which by the way is a direct contrast than us calling upon ourselves. I fear far too many of us are living in anxiety because it's all up to us. And anxiety makes sense if we're calling upon ourselves for everything, to do everything in our effort. It's Of course it's anxiety inducing. So God gives a different word. He says, hey, call upon me. I'm right here. Come and pray to me, he says. And then he even tells us this really sweet thing and it's kind of back to our original conversation. He says, I'm gonna listen to you. And then he promises 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So here's the promise for anyone that's precisely where you're speaking about, Sue, and you know your audience. If you, if, if you feel lost, here's the promise you can take hold of. Call upon him. 
Like take a moment, pause the podcast, call upon him, pray, seek to find him because he promises to be found by you. But it's not, sorry, I have to clarify. It's not seek to find good feelings because that's not the promise. It's not seek to find inspiration. It's not seek to find purpose even, although that's a great byproduct. It's not even seek to find the joy, love, all the other fruit. He simply says, seek to find me. And if you do, I'll be found by you and you'll have everything you need. Then, then you have the wonderful byproducts. But I fear we're seeking out all these wonderful byproducts as the goal. And that's where it's problematic. Because if let's say, for instance, I do think Jesus makes us more happy. I know that's controversial, joy and happiness, yada, yada. But I really am convinced that, that Jesus was a lot more happy than we thought. I know he's the suffering servant and all that. But I think that he was pleasant to be around. The reason I know that is because children wanted to be with him. Children don't want to be with grumpy people. Okay, so. I think he laughed a lot more than we ever yeah, I do too. Yeah, yeah. And so here's the here's the byproduct why it's important to focus on the finding Jesus part because if you're seeking to find a byproduct, so for instance, if I'm seeking to be happy, then I will critique everyone and everything based on how happy they make me. And that's not a great way to set up a marriage. <laughs> that's not a great way to parent. But if you seek happiness is an amazing byproduct, but it's a really crummy goal. We don't want to critique people to make us happy. What we'd rather do is seek Jesus. And as you do, you'll find him. You'll find who you're looking for. And then the byproducts are the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and ready for it. Self-control, which I think is one that goes really ignored. We do have a part to play in the fruit. I think you said something about humility is the most important thing in trying to find God. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, God says he, he resists the proud. And how many times am I pr- proud just by depending on myself without asking for that, without starting my day with calling upon him, like you mentioned. Um, another phrase you used in the, in the book was uh, living loved. Hmm. Yeah. And, uh, what do you say to the woman who does not feel the love of God? Hmm. It's a great question. What I would, to be honest with you, I don't think I'd say much. I just would sit with them in their pain. Because I think one of the ways that God shows his love is through people. And so I don't think the most loving thing to do would be to try to convince them in their head when it seems to be a heart issue. So I'd probably just sit with them. I'd ask you about what's going on. And then I'd probably, I'm teary-eyed imagining the assortment of answers that I'd hear. And then I'd look them in the eye probably and I would tell them that God loves them. And then I'd ask them why they don't believe it. And then I'd open scriptures and we'd listen to what Jesus like. And I try to find a character maybe that could resonate with the person that they're experiencing, the person that they are, and then talk about Jesus' pursuit of that person. And we'd read a story together to hear it from his words, not mine. But I think I'd do a little more listening than trying to convince because I don't think that I have that potential to do that. But I think people do feel loved when they have someone look at them and show them. And that's the fun thing about Jesus. My favorite, um, I love preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus, especially through Romans, because you get to Romans chapter five, verse eight, that says, but God demonstrates his love. And I love that about Jesus. He doesn't just say that he loves. He demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then I'm reminded 623, the reason he died is because that's what we earn. And he took that on our behalf. Then I could go on and on with the book of Romans, but really, I, if you don't feel it, then I'd say be honest about it so that someone can show you his love. That's what he wants to do. I remember a friend was visiting when we were, this is when we were still single and her 
love of her life broke up with her and she I was making scrambled eggs and she came out of her bedroom and she had her blanket wrapped over her shoulders and she just slumped down on the floor like against the kitchen counter and I just had to stop cooking because I couldn't fix her none of us we, we like to fix people we can't only God can heal and I just stopped making breakfast and slumped next to her and I was just with her and I just thought that's all I can do but actually it was the best thing I could do just like mm -hmm. they did that to kind of, it makes me teared up and now she's happily married to someone else but you know, those experiences of really being God's hand and feet by keeping your mouth shut yeah you know, yeah my brother likes to say Job's friends were better friends before they started talking <laughs> yeah I like that yeah and if that's if that's someone listening in and just feeling very unlovable that's the beauty of why God's called the local church and called pastors like take advantage of them I fear that we hide from those pastors instead of open up to them. And I'll tell you, it's not just good for you. It's good for them too. If their primary job is not just standing on stages, they signed up for it, not to stand on a stage. They signed up for it too. When you're covered in a towel, needing to slump down, to slump down with you, that's what they're called to. That's what my heartbeat is as a pastor, is to come alongside people. Um, but it's really difficult to come alongside people that think that they're fine or try to convince me that they're fine. That's really hard to love. And I wonder if one of the reasons we don't feel love is because we're not really known. And it's going to be difficult for someone to love you if they don't know you. So you got to open up. Uh, something, a quote from your book is, our relationships become opportunities to give others the gift of God and seek him and others. I love mm -hmm. that so much. And at the dinner table with your kids, you, you give highs and lows. And then how did you see God today? I love those three questions. We used to do good news, bad news, but we could have added that. How do you see God today? It would have helped some of those bad news days. <laughs> and I'll tell you, the reason we added that one was this book. So we added that. How do you see God today? Because of that Jeremiah 29, 13 promise. If you seek to find him, you will. So we ask with the expectation that if we seek even in a moment at the dinner table, we all find them. It's a promise, and we take advantage of it. It's beautiful, and uh, it reminds me of what Oswald Chambers writes as well, or wrote as well, was, you know, are you seeking God for himself or for his blessings? And that, and the Psalms talks about God being our portion or our inheritance. That's God himself, not the inheritance like money or blessings. Mm -hmm. And from, to um, a friend of mine, her daughter has cancer, and she's, mm -hmm. her daughter's 10. So she was reporting back to our small group this week, and she said, well, this was, a hard chemo day. So the Lord, I went to the Lord as my portion. The Lord is my portion today. Mm -hmm. So I thought, wow, you know, she needed comfort from God himself. She needed his comfort, but she just needed him. Yeah. And if we have, we have this great privilege, Megan, you and I do, to, um, as followers of Christ, but every follower of Christ has the same privilege mm -hmm. to wake up in the morning and say, help yourself to my life today, Lord, because who am I going to meet next? who needs to know who you are, but I want them to have an accurate picture of who you are because I can really mess that up. Yeah. So I think that's such an exciting way to live. Doesn't matter how old you are. Yeah. Well, speaking of legacy, what is your main legacy that you want to leave for people? We'll wrap this up. Yeah. I think uh, it's been redefined because of this book. So I think before I wanted, um, I wanted to people to be here. I'll be really honest. I wanted with that, it was unconscious. I think I wanted people to just like me or be impressed with me. The legacy I wanted was to be positive. And now I'm getting a lot more thoughtful <laughs> because you're getting older. If so, yeah, maybe if someone likes me, what good news is that for me? And then is it even a legacy or is it just a thought? 
And now I'm going, oh, having impact is one of the sweetest gifts God gives us, right? Like you just said, waking up in the morning going, all right, who is it today? Who are you going to use? How are you going to use me? Like, it's all yours. It's thrilling. And so the legacy I want to leave people with is someone that looked and sought to look more like Jesus. So very simply, my hope would be that as people think about me, um, that they would think like, oh, that person either brought me to Jesus or looked a lot more like him than just like themselves. That That is the good that he's planning to do in me now. And so if that can be my aim in the future, then I can start to be obedient to that now, which means, again, I come back to that question, how is God going to use the things that I have before me to form me more into the likeness of Jesus? So today it's time. What's he going to do? What am I going to do with my time? Am I really just going to sink into scrolling some more on my phone? Is that going to be the best investment of my time? No. If my legacy is to become more like Christ, then it makes a lot of sense to listen to his words and obey them. It makes a lot of sense to pray. It makes a lot of sense to open my heart and open my eyes and say, God, use these today in the rooms I walk into. So that's me. It's changed. And this book has made me conscious that I didn't have one intentionally before. Now I do. And I want it to align with what his are for me since he created me and knows what's best. Yeah. Wow. This has been uh, terrific. And uh, I will put the uh, links in the show notes of how you can get a hold of this book, how you can um, book uh, my friend here to speak at your event as the events are opening up, hopefully. I wanna add one, uh, one last question. You, you mentioned a sanctification gap, which is something that is always difficult in scripture as to we are new creatures in Christ and yeah, how come I'm not acting like him? To mm-hmm. me, that is the sanctification gap. What uh, is the main thing that helps you personally fill that gap? Yeah. I used to think that I used to have to be the only one to fill it. So I think awareness that I don't have to, and there's another promise in scripture that he who began a good work in me will complete it. That is comforting to me because I fail a lot at what, I mean, right when you asked me the question, I'm thinking, I'll pray more, do all the things. And I thought like, man, I just, but when I focus on those things, I, f- I focus on my failures in those things. So the sanctification gap is, here's the best way I could put it. Uh, you said I got uh, 10 years I've been married. So I was suddenly 12, 11, 10. That was our, um, <laughs> that was the day we got married. That was the t- day I became a wife. Yet I had about 27 years of life as a single lady where I didn't have to think or consider anyone else or use my money considering anyone else. And now on that day, now I'm 10 years later, but on that day, it was true of me that I was a wife, but it wasn't true of me that I acted like one. I still forgot to tell him where I was. I forgot. I made plans without asking him first. And all the uh, married women are probably laughing because you learned that one pretty fast. Uh, you can't just make plans for you. I remember I, because I'm so outgoing. I'm like, let's see, hang out with different people every single night of the week for six days a week. How's that sound? Huh? Huh? It's like I learned over the first few months, like, no, even though you are married, you're not always acting married. So God gives us grace in the meantime. He kindly makes us aware of the moments we're missing it. So when you feel that guilt, so even if I feel the guilt about not being perfect at quiet times or whatever it is, I always have to remember that's his kindness going, let me tell you who you are. You're created. You're a new creation. It's true of you that you are blameless and pure, but we're going to have to work on a lot of the stuff in the meantime. But as I make you aware of it, don't let the enemy sneak in and let guilt bombard you. Rather, see my kindness and let it lead you to repentance. Then you'll find the freedom that leads you to the places I want you to go. So see, guilt, yeah, we are guilty. Allow that to lead us to his feet, not away from him or turn into a just pers- a little hamster spinning on the wheel. That's not what he intends. He intends what's best for us and he'll use everything. All things, in fact, for good. Yeah, Romans 8, 28, here it is. 
I think repentance is one of God's greatest gifts to me. I don't like the experience of going into it. Oh my gosh, I just blew that. And I'm so sorry, Lord. But in those tears or in that time with him, that's when I feel closest to him. Yes. He's so kind to give us that opportunity. Yeah. And he's so kind to give us our relationship and this time together today. Thanks so much. God bless you as you mother those two little ones. And let me tell you a funny story. When we first got married, my I told my husband all the people we needed to have for dinner. And he said, we don't need to invite the whole world. And I thought, well, then we're only going to invite the non-Christians because we'll see the Christians later. But, you know, I had to learn that. I've been married, what, a week? And that we were so different in that way. But 33 years later, we're still making it. Yes, so thank girl. you so much. God bless you. Oh, thank you, Sue. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.